Will you stand with me for the reading of the word? As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. What a great passage of scripture um, and song we got to hear this morning. And I'm just so excited to be with you as we're continuing our series about grace revealed. Grace revealed. And uh, if, you, if you weren't with us last week, we just kicked it off. And uh, many of you probably have received the Lent devotional that kind of goes along with it. So the devotional you, you've received, if you don't have one, I think we have a few extra copies. As you're reading through that, you'll notice we're reading through the book of Luke. And as we're reading through the book of Luke on Sundays, we're preaching, not through the entire book. Trust me, you don't want to sit in here for that, okay? That would be long. But we are, we're preaching different passages as we go through Luke that reveal to us things about Jesus. And one of the things as you're reading through, and I mentioned this last week, but I think it's worth mentioning again. As you're reading through, I want you to remember something about Jesus. It's something you know, but I, I want to put it at the forefront of your mind. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Now you might say, I learned that in you know, second grade, first grade. I'm glad you did, but I want you to think of it this way. Because if Jesus is God, that means Jesus wouldn't act in a way. Jesus wouldn't say things. Jesus wouldn't do things that God would not do. And some of us, our God concept maybe is a little bit off. And when we read about Jesus, it kind of can help put that back in realignment. Let me just give you one example. For years, I struggled with shame. And I thought, man, God would never take me back. And then I read what Jesus had to say about the prodigal son. And about how the father was so excited when the son came back. And see, what Jesus taught, it messed up my God concept. Because I thought God was upset with me and angry with me and wouldn't take me back. But Jesus, he changed that because I understood what he said. So as we read through, grace revealed, we remember Jesus is God. And so when Jesus does things, when Jesus says things, he wouldn't do or say something that the father wouldn't say. He wouldn't do or say something that the Holy Spirit wouldn't do or say. Does that make sense? So Jesus is God. So let's think about that. So as we've been going through, we've been looking at different passages that teach us something about who Jesus is, how he relates to us, and how his life and how the grace that he revealed to us and he brought changes things. And last week we kicked it off. Um, if you were here, you'll remember we talked about how Jesus came and right away, as soon as he began his ministry, um, people were shocked right? People heard him and they said, whoa, there's something different about this guy because his word, when he speaks, his word has the authority to actually change things. 
And we talked about how his word has power over darkness and over sickness and how his word has even power over storms, but also how he can change our lives and how we can invite him into our lives, okay? So now today, that, that was early on, so now we're picking up a little bit further on in Jesus' ministry. We're going to be in Luke chapter 8, um, if you want to flip your Bible there. Um, in, in the passage we just um, heard from Ashlyn. But just to give you a little context on that passage, um, so you know we heard this story, and you've probably heard it before, about this woman who's suffering with bleeding. Um, and she's been bleeding for 12 years. And uh, there, it's in three of the Gospels, this story. It's in Mark, it's in Matthew, and it's in Luke. And she, she's been suffering, and she goes, and she just thinks, if I can just touch Jesus garment, I know I'll be made whole. Well, what's going on in that story? So by this time, just to give you a little bit of background, Jesus has begun to get a reputation. So we started off last week, he was just beginning his ministry. People are like, who is this? But now he's been healing a lot of people. He's been teaching. He's been doing things. And when he goes places, crowds gather. I mean, even in this passage, if you notice, it said, as Jesus was walking, the crowd was almost crushed him. It pressed against him. So people are really, I mean, a lot of people are really excited about Jesus. They think he maybe is some sort of prophet, um, and they want to hear what he has to say because when Jesus speaks, things change. So he's got some people who really are following him and are really interested. And then he, there's another group, the religious leaders of the day. So you've got your Pharisees, your, your synagogue leaders. All the, the, This group of people, were the, they were not such big fans of Jesus already by this point. If you've read through, you know that by this point he's already healed somebody on the Sabbath. Um, that upset them, right? He's, he's been associating with sinners. He's, you know, he's been reaching out to people who, I mean, like the religious people would stay away from those people. Like, hey, we're not going to talk to those people. And so he's already kind of stepped on some toes. And so the religious leaders, at best, are skeptical of Jesus. Some of them outright don't like him, and that's the group that will go on and lead the charge, right, to have him crucified um, later on. So that, that's what's going on right here, and so as Jesus, he, he arrives, um, there's one synagogue leader who does something differently. So remember, the religious leaders, I said, are at best skeptical, and many of them don't, don't like Jesus already. But there's one synagogue leader who feels a little differently his name's Jairus, and his daughter is dying, his 12-year-old daughter, and he comes and he begs at Jesus' feet, will you please come and heal my daughter? And so Jesus follows him, and it's on the way, it's on the way to his house. That's where that passage picks up. So it says, as Jesus was on his way, that's where he was going. So he was on his way to Jairus' house to, to heal, heal this girl, and that's when the woman approaches him. Um, and so as we go through this story, what we're going to look at, it's not going to maybe be your traditional three-point uh, three sermon because each of these is an individual reality. Well, we're going to talk about three realities today. Um, they're, they're true. They're just life. It's just the way it is. Um, that, and, and they're truths and principles that this passage really brings to life, Okay. So we've got the context, we know what happened, we, are, we heard the scripture. Um, so here's the first reality, okay, that we can all live with. Here it is, ready? You can live a long time with things in your life that Jesus wants to change. That Jesus can change. You and I can live a long time with things in our lives that Jesus can change. 
And uh, before I really dive into this, I got a question. How many, how many of you have ever um, had something broken in your house, or, and you lived with it broken a long time just to find out it had a really easy fix? Has that ever happened to anybody? Okay, please don't let me be the only one. This because this some story is embarrassing. I might not tell it. Um, so Alyssa and I, when we moved into our, uh, our first home, so we, we bought our first home. So we'd rented, but then we bought our first home. The place we moved had really hard water, and we had a water softener, and it was great because the water was soft. And then, you know, a few months later, the water wasn't soft anymore. Like, we started getting scale on everything. So all our dishes, you know, kind of had this, you know, kind of white film on them, you know, and it was, it was just annoying. So whenever people would come over, I'd have to get them out and scrub them, you know, so there's, like, we just ate off them all the time, but I'd scrub them when people came over so that people wouldn't, wouldn't realize that we got hard water. And you'd start to itch, right? Everybody experienced? So, like, you take showers and you itch and you scratch. And, you know, I just kind of, I just kind of accepted this as life. Like, that's okay, we've got hard water. And Travis, Alyssa goes, Travis, Will you, please fix the, will you please fix the water softener? We have a water softener. I'm like, yeah, I'll fix it, I'll fix it, you know. And I just, I don't know, just kept, kept going on with life. I was just fine. And, until she got to the point, she's like, Travis, will you please get salt? I don't know how many times she asked me to go get salt for this thing. So I go, and uh, I buy some salt, and I pour it in there. And I'm like, yeah, I think it's better. It wasn't better. You know, it's just how your mind plays games. It wasn't any better, and so like a month or two later, still, so this has been going on for months, and then a couple months later, she's like, Travis, can you, can you please, it must be out of salt, because it's still, our water is terrible. And so I go down, I go down, I buy more salt, actually, I go downstairs, open up the water softener, and it's 100% full with salt still. I'm like, How's, how can this be? This thing's broken. So I'm like, I'm looking at it, and, and the screen, I can't even get it to like light back up and turn back on like it was when the guy, was, like when we first bought the house. I'm pressing all these buttons, and I'm holding the reset. I look up online, how do you do the reset? I mean, I do all sorts of things with this. And I'm like, that's it, Alyssa, I can't fix it. I'm calling Culligan. So that's who we rented it from. I call him up, I'm like, hey, we need a service tech out here. I can't get this thing fixed. Like, okay, we'll be out Friday. And Alyssa's so happy because we're finally gonna have soft water again. So the guy comes down and downstairs and I take him in there. I'm like, man, I, I, think, the, I, think, I, said, I think the thing's broken. It's just shot because it won't even light up. And he goes down, he looks at it for about two seconds. He looks to the left where the outlet is. <laughs> and the plug is only halfway in. And he goes, plugs it in, it lights up. He presses the reset button, he's gone in three minutes. We went probably a year, I don't know how long, with hard water when all I had to do was buy salt and plug it in. Not one of my proudest moments, right? Uh, but the reality is, like, and it's funny when, that, well, it's kind of, it's funny now when that happens at home, but there's a reality that this can happen to us in life. We can, we can have some things that are broken we can have relationships that are broken. We can have parts of ourselves spiritually that it's like, God, I want you to, I, I, I need this to be fixed, but I've never, I've never really had Jesus come and take a look. I can go a long time with things in my life that Jesus wants to change, Jesus can change, and just kind of let them linger. I can kind of accept them as the new normal. Now I want to tell you that this woman, she dealt with this problem for 12 years. 
She dealt with this problem for 12 years, and she wasn't okay with it. Like, if you read the, the passage in Mark, in verses 25 and 26, it says this, a woman who was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, and she had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting any better, she grew worse. So it's not that she didn't want it fixed, but she had something, she had something that needed healed. She needed a touch from God, and as soon as she went to Jesus, I want to point out, it was instantly healed. And I also want to bring out these two points. She didn't cause this. This wasn't something that she did, that, that, it, that she caused this, and it wasn't something that she can fix. And, and I, today, as we begin talking, I, I, I want us to start thinking about this, because we have some things in our life, if we're honest. We have some things going on around us that, aren't, that are broken, could be relationships, could be within ourselves, and maybe some of these things we didn't even cause. But just because we didn't cause it doesn't mean that Jesus can't fix it. Right? Just because you it, it does, just because it's not your fault, Jesus can still fix it. And we have to bring those things to him. Because Jesus can do in a moment, a lot of times, what we spend years trying to fix. So that's what happened with her. She spent her whole living on this. Okay, so that's point number one. And I just want us to just acknowledge that I can live a long time with things in my life that Jesus wants to change and that Jesus can change. He's got the authority to do it in his word. Okay, next point. You can be in close proximity to Jesus and not experience his touch. Let's think about this one for a second. You can be in close proximity to Jesus and not experience his touch. Let's look back at uh, Luke 8, 45 and 46. So remember, the crowd's pressing around him. It's, it's all around him. And he says, who touched me, Jesus asked. Everyone denied it. And Peter said, Master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. But Jesus said, someone deliberately touched me. For I felt healing power go out from me. So there, were, there was this whole group of people around Jesus. They wanted to hear from him. They wanted, they wanted to see what he could do. Some of them, no doubt, needed a touch from God, whether they vocalized it or not. But I want you to know, on this story, there's only two people recorded that got a touch from God. This woman and Jairus' daughter. There was only two people, even though the whole crowd was around them. And as I, as I sit and I think and, and ponder about this story, I started thinking about Jesus' life and about those people he touched and those people who were not touched. And when I say touch, I don't just mean healing. I mean, I'm, in a physical way, I mean Jesus touched me. Jesus changed me. Jesus reached into my life and did something that only he could do. Healing, maybe, maybe physical, yes, but it could be a whole lot of other things. It could be emotionally, spiritually. It could be changing who I was, just saving me. And so as I, as I started thinking about Jesus' life, I realized some of the people who witnessed the most of Jesus' miracles and heard him taught the most, who were they? They were the religious leaders. Jesus was constantly teaching in the synagogues. 
He was constantly teaching. In fact, when they arrest him, he says, why didn't you arrest me when I was teaching in the temple every day? They heard him every day. They were around Jesus constantly. Everybody knew who he was, and yet they didn't receive a touch from him. There were people in this crowd, no doubt, who needed a touch from God. So, so you, can, you can be around God and not be changed by him. You can grow up in a church, you can hear a lot of good preaching, you can worship, I mean, you can tithe, you, you can sing the songs, you could be really close to what Jesus is doing. But you could miss it personally. You can. I, I can remember a time in my, in my youth, um, I'd walked away from God. There was no doubt about that. I had walked away from God. Um, and I knew that. But my, you know, I kind of had this intention of always, I wanted to come back to God at some point in my life. Um, and I remembered that God, I, I still felt conviction. I still felt him like trying to lead me and draw me back. And, and I would resist, but I would kind of open myself up to it a little bit. And I can remember being in a service one day. And God was moving. There were people at the altars crying. You know, there were people praying everywhere. People were being touched. People, people around me were being touched. And I remember my heart felt cold as a stone. And I want to tell you, that was the first time in my life I ever really was afraid that maybe I had gone too far. And now Jesus, he reached out to me with his grace, but I want to tell you in that moment, i got to be completely honest with you. We talk about how Jesus reaches out to us. He does, but he also says, come when the door is open. Today is the day of salvation, and I'd put off a lot of todays to reach a point where I'm sitting in the service, people are being touched, and I listened. I was paying attention the whole time, and I felt nothing. I felt cold inside. There's no warmth, and I, I said, God, God, have I gone too far? I, I was afraid. I was afraid, and, and I want to tell you, it took some time for God to soften my heart again. And I believe it may have even begun in that moment because I did pray. I did pray like, God, please don't let me be too far gone. Because we always talk about how you can repent at any time, and you can. You know, God, God can, he can take you back at any time. But what do you do when your heart is cold? How do you warm up a cold heart? How could I sincerely repent and turn back to God when everything inside was cold? I needed Jesus to do something. And he did. And even at that point, I didn't feel God. I didn't, I mean, I wasn't hearing from him. Everybody else, it seemed, was. I prayed. And I said, God, don't let me be too far. And he softened my heart. But there's, there's a real, something I really learned at that time. That just because God's moving in this place doesn't mean he's moving in my heart. I can be around him and not be changed by him. You can be in close proximity to Jesus, but you can miss it. So, but what was different about these two people? Okay, what was different about these two people? Let's think about these stories. So the two people that Jesus responded to that day, they were both desperate. 
They were both desperate. Okay, this woman, she'd been bleeding for 12 years. And, you know, we hear that and we think, wow, that's, that stinks. She's been bleeding for 12 years. But it's even worse than you could imagine. What, what the bleeding she experienced, what that would have caused, would have been basically being ostracized from the community. She would have been ceremonially unclean. She couldn't just go to the temple and worship, right? She couldn't just go and be around people. In fact, just her act of getting up in this group and reaching out and touching Jesus, if people had found out she was unclean at that time, it would not have ended well for her, right? So she's, she's got this going on, and she's desperate. She's spent everything she has to, to be healed, and she's, she's, she's spent, gave everything she had to doctors, and it never worked. She's desperate. Let's think about Jairus. He's the leader of a synagogue. I can tell you right now, it was probably not a good career move to go and plead and beg at the feet of Jesus this controversial figure, especially among your friends, your friends, a lot of them don't like him. I'm sure a lot more negative is coming out about Jesus than positive. But I can tell you something, Jairus didn't care. And you know what? You probably wouldn't either if your 12-year-old daughter was about to die. And that's where he was. My 12-year-old daughter's about to die, so you know what? This Jesus has been healing people. I don't care what other people think. I'm going to go to Jesus because I'm going to, I'm going to beg at his feet that maybe he'll just have mercy on me and come to my house because there's nothing else I can do. There's no, I can't fix this situation. Neither of them could fix their situations and they were both desperate, but they did something with it. See, a lot of people are desperate. A lot of people have desperate situations in their lives. A lot of us need a touch for a family member. A lot of us have broken relationships. But what they did that was different was they took that desperation and, and they, had, they could have gone other places. This woman had tried everything else she had. And they took their faith and their desperation to the right place. Because the third reality is this. Jesus responds to faith. If you have read through any of the Gospels, you know that Jesus responds to faith. That's who he is. So now remember, anything we learn about Jesus, that's true of God. God responds to faith. When we pray in faith, God responds. Always, always. And faith is so key to who we're called to be. It really is. The Christian life, I want you to think about this. It's not work, 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 and hopefully I can earn something from God. Hopefully, you know, I can, I can get God to forgive me, and then if I keep working harder and earn some more stuff, that hopefully I can, maybe he'll heal me. I can, I can say, God, I've been working so hard. Won't you just touch me? It's faith. Jesus responds to faith. How are you saved? Ephesians says it like this. You were saved by grace through what? Faith. Faith is, the, faith is the avenue. It's the road, like, going straight up to God that blessing travels down. It's faith all the time. How, how, how was she healed? How was this woman healed? Let's, let's, let's read that last verse. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. 
Now, he could have said, I made you well, and that would have been a true statement. I touched you. I healed you. He did. No one else did. It was Jesus, but he doesn't. He, he attributes it back to her, and he says, your faith has made you well. Now, we know that God's word has authority, and so when we come to him in faith, we open up that avenue that, that God can, can change us. Because I want you to think about this. Not only are we saved by faith, not only are we healed, it's by faith. I mean, it's by grace, but it comes through faith. Listen to this. 1 John 5, 4. How do you overcome the world? Let's read this. It says this. For every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. You're not gonna go out and just get stronger and just be the person you need to be on your own. It's gotta come through faith. You know what, your faith could latch onto that verse this morning for something you're struggling with and you've been struggling with for years. And you could say, by faith, Jesus, you said every child of God defeats this evil world, but I've been overcome by sin in this area. I, this area has overcome me, but today, God, I'm gonna believe it. Lord, it's only through you that I can overcome this world, overcome this evil world. I, I, I've, I've been stuck in it. The temptations have seemed too difficult. But through faith, God, I'm just going to believe what you said. See, we have to take God at his word. We have to exercise our faith. Because when Jesus says you're a new creation, or, or when Jesus didn't say it explicitly, but the Bible says you are a new creation in Christ Jesus, God means that. So when you've been struggling with something over and over and over, you could step out in faith and say, you know what, no, I'm in Christ Jesus. I believe in him, and through faith, he's changed me. Through faith, I can overcome this world. So I want us to think about this now. Three realities, three realities that we've talked about so far. What was the first one? It was, you can live a long time with things in your life that God can change, okay? You can live a long time with things in your life God can change, he wants to change. Two, you can be around Jesus. You can be in close proximity to him. You can hear a lot about him. You can know a lot about him and not experience his touch. But Jesus responds to faith. Jesus responds to faith. So kind of as we're closing and, and wrapping up here, I have a question. Fi kind of a final thought for us to work through, and that's this. If that is true... If that is true, why do sometimes we as Christians, why do we live below what God has for us? What I mean by that is if every child born of God overcomes this world, why is that not the reality sometimes in my life? If there are areas of my life that Jesus can change, why do I live so long with them being unchanged, relationships, attitudes, sin. You know, I read through the fruit of the Spirit, and I try to think, am I that way? You know, is patience, does that define me? If that's what God has for me, why do I live below that? If God has more for us, why sometimes do we miss it? Because as Christians, we're not just a people of faith, we're called to live by faith and not by sight. We're supposed to live this way with living by faith in what Jesus has said, and, and through that, he can, he can change us. Remember, that's the avenue that he can change us. So why do we miss it? I think there's a few reasons. 
and I think they're in your notes, but the first is this, we're too busy. Sometimes we're just too busy to reach out in faith for the things God wants to change. And now, Jairus and this woman, that wasn't the case for them. Their situation put them on hold, right? I mean, their situation, they changed everything. They went to Jesus. But let's be honest, not all the things that Jesus can change in our life are that pressing. Right? While we may not enjoy a broken relationship or while we may not enjoy a, something we've been struggling with for a long time, we can live with it a lot longer. It doesn't feel like life or death. It just doesn't have that feel to us. So we can be busy and we can just keep going through life and just keep doing things and never actually take the time to get at Jesus' feet like Jairus did. Never actually take the time to reach out in faith and try and grab hold of Jesus as he's walking by. And so sometimes our busyness just does this. Later on in Luke, as you're reading through, you're gonna come across a parable of this great banquet. And uh, it, it, it's, it's a picture of God inviting people to this banquet with him. And as he sends out the invitations, here's what happens. This guy just got married. This guy just got uh, new, new stuff for his farm. New oxen, he's got to try them out. This guy's busy. He wants to come. And, and, and God's got this great table prepared, and nobody that he invites originally shows up. And so he ends up going out to those who are desperate. He ends up going out to those who are needy, those who are homeless. He says, go out whoever, wherever you can and invite more people to this banquet because I have this banquet prepared. I, I want them to come. And none of those people I originally invited, they're not going to share in this banquet. And the reality is, God's got a table set for you and me a lot of the time. He's got a table set. He can bless us. He can change things. But sometimes I'm just too busy. I just don't slow down. I'm going, going, going. And I can miss it. I cannot sit down at the table with God and just receive by faith what he already has for me. We can be too busy. Next, we can, we can be too worried about what others would think. And I can tell you, if that had happened to Jairus, his daughter would have died, and that would have been the end. Because I don't know if you know the end of the story, when, Jairus, or when Jesus shows up, his daughter is already dead. And Jesus says, just believe. And he touches. He touches this girl, and she raises back to life. But if he would have been too worried, what would have happened if he waited another day or two? Just said, ugh. I think she might pull through. I just, man, you have no idea what this is gonna do to me at work, right? If I go and lay down, what happens if I go and lay down and I'm just at Jesus' feet begging him and he doesn't come or he comes and he, he can't heal her? What happens then? I'm gonna look like a fool. I mean, I'm a leader in this synagogue and we can worry so much about what others think that we won't cry out in desperation to God. We won't confess to others the problem. We definitely won't, we, if we do, we'll just try and do it in private. Because there's another religious leader, I don't know if you're familiar with the name Nicodemus, who was curious about Jesus. And so what did he do? He waited till it was pitch black outside, he waited till it was night and went to Jesus. He wouldn't do it in front of people. Later on, he turned and, and, and he did speak out for Jesus. But sometimes we can do that. We could be worried about what others will think. What will others think if they find out my life's not together? And I come down and I pray. What will, they, what will people think if they find out this relationship that everyone thought was fine is totally broken? 
And I'm not saying you gotta go tell everybody all your problems. But what I mean is when you cry out in desperation, when we have an altar call later, if you've got something going on, and you look around and think, I don't want this other person to think differently about me, let me tell you, you could miss Jesus walking by. That's what happens sometimes. I've done it. I've done it. I can remember sitting there, and I need to deal with something, but I'm like, well, what would this person think? Man, let it go. Who cares? Jesus is here. He can change things. He can do something. So we're too worried about what others think. Next thing is this, though. This can keep us. Sometimes we don't realize our need. We just don't realize our need. Some of our needs are pressing. They're right out in front of us. As soon as I said there's something broken, there's a relationship, or there's a sin, or there's an area of our life where it's just we're defeated, that blared in your mind. And you know that's right there. But like, kind of like we talked about earlier, we need him more than we even realize. I need him more than I realize. Sometimes I don't realize how much I just rely on his daily sustaining me. Sometimes I don't realize that, you know what, there's areas in my life that he still wants to change. He still wants to work in. And you know what? Sometimes I don't realize the needs around me. Because you might say, I don't really have, I can't think of anything, Travis. I mean, he, you know, I, I come to him, he's, he's daily sustaining me. Well, that's great, but there's a lot of things going on around us that God wants to intervene in. Remember, as we talked about last week, we don't just get the privilege of inviting God into our lives and, and him, his invitation to follow us, but we get to invite him and bring him everywhere we go. So we just don't realize the need. I think that's probably what it was like for some of those people in the crowd. They wanted to hear Jesus, they wanted to see something without realizing that maybe there were some things in, them, in their life they needed to experience too. Four is this, we don't pray through. Maybe you're not familiar with that term, but I hope you get familiar with that term. What is praying through? You can call it whatever you want. You can call it persevering in prayer, but here's what it is. I'm praying until something happens. As you read through Luke, you're gonna come across multiple different teachings and parables that essentially say this. There are some answers to prayer that will only come if you continue persevering in prayer. That's true. It says that in it says it all over that when we when we continue praying for something, we persevere in praying, and we keep trusting God for an answer to something, that we'll see God move in ways we wouldn't see if we prayed about it once and let it go. So it's not sometimes we recognize the need, but we pray once and we let it go. And I and I believe the reason for a lot of these boils down to our last the very last one that I had of re why, we don't, why we can miss what God has for us at times is this. Sometimes we just accept things the way that they are. We've just accepted things the way that they are. Kind of like, remember how I said earlier, I just kind of had accepted that I was going to itch every time I took a shower. Maybe in your life, you've accepted some realities in your spiritual life, in relationships, in your work life, in Columbus. We've just accepted some realities that, hey, you know what? That's just the way things are. And if you think things are just, that's just the way it is, you're not gonna persevere in prayer for them. 
You're not going to push through. You're not going to pray until something happens because you think that's just the way it is now. And so what are you accepting in your life as normal that Jesus could change? What are you accepting in your workplace? What are you accepting in your family? What are you accepting personally? What are we accepting in our town, in, in our country? What are we accepting as normal that Jesus could change? And I don't mean you're happy about it. It doesn't mean like, oh yeah, I'm happy with this. This is just the way things are, I'm happy. But no, it means this kind of stinks, but that's just the way it is now. And when we do that, you, you know you've done it because you don't pray about it anymore. It's just reality now. And so I want you to think about this. What are you accepting? And it could be for you personally, but it could be, it could be something that I said is outside of you. Like for instance, let me give you some things that God has worked in my life that I've chose. Like I cannot accept this as a youth pastor. I'm not saying it's not reality. It's reality. But I'm not gonna accept it that way because I believe God can change things. Here's a few things, you ready? One, the enemy is taking more from the church than the church is taking from the enemy in America, especially among young people. That's a reality. I'm not okay with that. I'm taking that to prayer. I'm believing that Jesus can change things in our schools and in our young people's lives. Because I can't just accept that and say, well, that's just the way it is now. And see, that's what people do. They'll say, Travis, it's post-Christian America, okay? We're not who we once were. And you know what? Yeah, we're not, but I'm not gonna just accept that the enemy wins. I'm gonna persevere in prayer. I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna let this thing go. I'm not gonna just accept, here's another one as a youth pastor. I'm not just gonna accept that young people are gonna be controlled by pornography, they're gonna be controlled by this culture, they're gonna be controlled by what they see. Yeah, that's happening in a large part, but I can't accept that because I know that Jesus sanctifies people. I know that Jesus can come into someone's life, save them, radically change them. He can take them from where they were and he can take them somewhere else. So I can't just accept that, yeah, this is just the way America is now. I can't do that. I gotta persevere in prayer. I have to hit the altar. I've gotta have time alone at home. I've gotta write these things down. I've gotta say, God, I believe you can do something about this, even though I can't. I can't fix that. There's things in your life you can't fix that. I can't just accept these things. I've gotta persevere in prayer. I've gotta keep coming. I gotta be desperate. I've got to reach out and say, God, if you don't do this, it's not going to happen. I've got to stand and say, just, just like in the Old Testament, I'm going to say, God, I'm just going to stay here until you bless me. I'm going to keep praying about this until I see you move. I'm going to wrestle. I'm not just going to let this go. I'm not just going to accept this. And as we do that, you will see God move. I'm telling you, I promise you. So my final question for you is this. What are you accepting in your life right now as normal that God would change? I'm gonna ask uh, Pastor Nathan to come back up. We're gonna sing a song. And I just wanna have a time at the altar. I just felt like that's the right way to end today of just praying. And I know you can pray at your seat, but I think kind of with what we've talked about today, sometimes I think stepping out does something. 
as I just step out and say, there's things in my life that, you know what, I'm not happy about it, but I've accepted it as normal, and it's not normal. Maybe, maybe you have a child who's away from God. You don't have to accept that as normal. Maybe you've got coworkers, friends who don't know Jesus. Why do we just accept that as normal? I've got a friend who he, he I love this, he calls all the people he's praying for pre-Christians. He's changed his mindset on it because he's not accepting the fact that they don't know Christ. Yeah, that's reality, but, but I'm gonna pray for them like they're gonna come to know Christ one day. I'm gonna continue persevering in prayer. Maybe it's something physical. Maybe it's something personal. It could be a whole list of things, but if God's put something on your heart this morning, something that you've just accepted, and it doesn't mean you're happy about it, but it means you've just, you've stopped taking that to the Lord. Or maybe you've been taking it to the Lord, but you wanna come again. We're gonna have an altar, a time at the altar this morning to pray. So I ask you to stand with me as, as we pray. And as soon as I finish, I just encourage you just to come as we sing this song and pray and cry out to the God who can change things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, Lord, for just your nearness here with us today. And God, I thank you that, Lord, you can help us to become the prayer warriors, Lord, that you're calling us to be. Lord, you can help us, Lord, to reach out in faith, God, and receive blessing, Lord, and that you can change things that seem unchangeable. So, Lord, as we pray right now, I pray that faith would rise in this place. Faith in the God whose word has authority and who is still working today. If you'd like to pray.